Welcome everybody, Andrew Holacek here. I'm really delighted to introduce you to Dr. Nevin Aurora and spend the next hour or so with this uh, remarkable individual talking to, to you all about some super practical infrastructure approaches to sleep and dream, um, which are obviously incredibly necessary for working with things like lucid dreaming altogether. So let me introduce you to, to Dr. Aurora here. So Dr. Nevin Aurora is a board-certified psychiatrist and sleep medicine specialist. He completed his residency in psychiatry at Georgetown, followed by a sleep medicine fellowship at Stanford University. His interests focus on non-drug therapies for insomnia and other sleep disorders, including lucid draining as a potential intervention and framework for improving sleep and quality of life. So welcome, Nevin. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. And um, gosh, there's so much to, to talk about to launch into here, but the main kind of um, gesture of this interview is somewhat in harmony with a kind of a classic maxim in the Buddhist tradition where they assert that the preliminaries are more important than the main practice. And um, if we're talking about the main practice in our schema being things like lucid dreaming, then the preliminaries start with having good sleep um, and the ability to really uh, work with our dreams. And so what I want to spend this next hour or so with you about is is talking about the extraordinary importance of sleep, its role in physical and psychological health. Um, but before we jump into that, because that is obviously an enormous topic, I do want to start right up front with your permission with this really provocative aspect of your bio, where you talk about your, your inclusion of lucid dreaming as a potential intervention and framework for improving sleep and quality of life. Um, so if it's okay, let's start with you riffing a little bit on that and, and how that has played out in your uh, professional work and also if I might um, ask how it's actually played out in your own personal life as a lucid dreamer. So how do how in fact do you use as an intervention and framework? Yeah, yeah. So no, well th thank you for having me and uh, uh, you know great way to dive into it. I, I, I will tell you up front, my, my own personal lucid dreaming experience is Probably not quite as expansive and rich as as others who are listening and, and others who um who uh, r really have um you know incredible transformative experiences with that in, in in general you know and just in the based on the work that I do the clinical work I do with which does specialize a lot in insomnia there's just a a a, a need really to be able to offer some type of treatments that that are a little bit more durable and something that people can you know, really keep with them for, for an extended period of time, which, which, uh, pharmaceutical drugs, they, while they can help, it, it's oftentimes doesn't give that durable benefit. So in, in general, um, when I think about lucid dreaming and just dreaming in general, this, this provides really a excellent avenue to explore oneself, uh, every night, potentially a few times a night to be able to, uh, transform the experience of not sleeping into something that can provide some more willful control or, or a different different respect on how to conceptualize the difficulty in sleeping um, you know uh, so much about insomnia is a, a person's perception of it and their then their behaviors that surround their their lack of sleep and what I've found with lucid dreaming in the you know, 
few couple of experiences that I've had with it and in talking to others who really have had a really good practice with it is that the experience of being awake at night and the experience of getting up in the morning can really become much more rich and fulfilling if we have this uh, focus on which to build from. And, and obviously with lucid dreaming, this becomes a focus that, that stays with us and is able to allow us, again, like I said, a different introspection into how we're living our life and what's coming to us in our sleep. Uh, I really appreciate what you said about the, the Buddhist maxim there about learning um, the, the, and I'm sorry, I know you said it best there, but yeah. how we, the, the beginners, um, you got to focus on the things at the very beginning there versus the, the end goal, which, which would be lucid dreaming. And you know, I think the interesting that comes about that with sleep is the best sleepers out there are children and, and, and people who have not necessarily been you know, uh, on this world for as long. Those are the best sleepers out there, and, and those are the people that have the most uh, ability to lucid dream, I would say, in the sense of the REM sleep that's there. Uh, so I, I know I'm talking on a tangent here, but to get back to what you were saying about uh, lucid dreaming as a, as a foundation um, or, or how to build upon there, it's just, it becomes something to where dreams and nightmares oftentimes for people, this is uh, something that comes to people whether they like it or not. And oftentimes when I speak about nightmares, it's a very unpleasant experience. And this in and of itself can cause sleeping difficulties, difficulty during the daytime. And when we can think about how to work with a nightmare or to be able to change the script of a nightmare or to look at it in a different way, you know, lo and behold, so many other things start to improve in the sense of a person's sleep quality, you know, their daytime waking experiences, just being able to work through something or understand these, you know, potentially horrific images or, or themes that just visit every night. And, and while medications can certainly help to maybe dull that experience a little bit, I think the real treatment for a disorder like that is to be able to confront it and to be able to work with it and, and uh, redefine that experience into something that can make it more of a holistic experience or become one of ourself here, um, one with oneself. And with that type of integration, I mean, my goodness, the sky's the limit, really. And lucid dreaming, to me, um, from an intellectual standpoint, and as I said, from very minimal experiences of the ones that I've had, you know, it's just, it really is, it's something to where I don't think our backs can be turned upon it. I think it's something we need, we need to embrace. It's something we need to understand more. And to be able to do that, I think, is really going to help you know, not, not only the person, but I think the, the clinician or the provider, the, the therapist, the counselor, wh whoever have you to understand a person as a whole and be able to treat a person as a whole. Yeah, that's really interesting. And actually, if I'm understanding you, <coughs> excuse me, it's really resonant with the, the charter and the theme of what we're doing with our little um, nightclub and, and the members who are involved in it. And that is that, you know, the larger scope, lucid dreaming obviously has a very specific kind of target. But if I'm rocking what you're saying, Evan, it's really the, the larger scope of lucidity is really what we're talking about here, that, that yes, it's great if you can have lucid dreams and that sort of thing. But the, the larger um, scope is that by bringing a heightened sense of awareness to the nocturnal mind altogether, we can fundamentally change our relationship to sleep and dream and work with um, obstacles and really transform them into opportunities. And, and for instance, you're, you're referring to insomnia, which is, of course, of the 100 or so 
plus sleep disorders is number one on the list. And I want to yeah. come back and talk about that. But this is this is absolutely resonance with my own experience before I actually started talking to, to sleep professionals, is that armed with the skill set of, of lucid dreaming, that I've been able to transform my relationship to this otherwise really unwanted experience. And instead of, you know, my little playful mantra here is instead of, oh, crap, it's, oh, wow. You know, every night yeah. I have the opportunity to, here it is, I, you know, there it is. I got to deal with it. And, and really in a very deep way, meditation, as I've come to understand it altogether, is in fact about changing relationship to phenomenal experiences. And, and mm-hmm. that re- that's what this does. You have the, you have the nightmare, you have the, the inability to fall asleep or whatever, whatever you're struggling with. And armed with the classic lucid dreaming armamentarium and also the skill set that I want to tap um, your experience with a little bit more, we can transform this obstacle into opportunity by, in fact, transforming our relationship to it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Andrew. Yeah, you, you, nail on the head. It's um, it's really exciting, actually, to think about just the potential this has and, and how, and again, the work you're doing with the nightclub here and what you have, just how this is something that is more accessible to people if they have that interest, if they have that desire, that that there are opportunities to do this. So really, it's just, um, it's really an exciting time, I think. And, and it's, the sky's the limit, I would say, if we could really start to live our life and transform our sleep, not just our sleep state, but our wake state into something that is a little bit more of a lucid living, something where we are more cognizant of the present moment and able to gain mastery of our thoughts and our you know, leading into that, our behaviors and our ability to sleep. So absolutely. And, and what the other thing that it does for me, Nevin, is, it, is it, it alters my relationship to sleep and dream altogether. Because as we both know, especially in the, in the Western world, we have this somewhat dismissive relationship to sleep and dream. You know, there's this popular saying, you snooze, you lose. Well, I, I think we can flip that on its head. If you don't snooze, you definitely lose. Um, and <laughs> if, if we don't have... Uh, respect the power of sleep. I mean, it's really the infrastructure of how we live our lives, like you were talking yeah. at the end. If we, don't, if we don't get the sleep that we need, and this is what I want to start to turn our lens towards, if we don't get the sleep that we need, um, our days are profoundly and adversely affected. And with your permission, I wanted to just read a tiny bit. This is actually from uh, Matthew Walker's book. Yeah, um, yeah. Excellent book. Yeah, where he he really sums it up, and, and in fact, as I sit here at my desk, I, I've got what five, six, seven books over the last couple of years. You know, Ariane Huffington's book, the, the Sleep Revolution, The Mind at Night, um, Cat Dove's book, The Secret Life of Sleep, Matthew Walker's book, and to me, it's really thrilling that finally, in the popular um, press, people are starting to realize that this. This uh, previously unhealthy relationship to sleep and dream is now being um, really contested by science and popularized by these authors. So that people realize that if, in fact, we don't sleep and dream properly, we're going to live <clears throat> profoundly affected, adversely affected lives. And in fact, we're going to live shorter. Um, so let me just start by um, reading this one little thing from Matthew. And then let's unpack it a little bit, because whatever we can do to uh, encourage our listeners to get the restorative rest they truly need, I, I think then um, our time will be extremely well spent. So this is, what, this is what Matthew says. Routinely sleeping less than six or seven hours a night demolishes your immune system, more than doubling your risk of cancer. 
insufficient sleep is a key lifestyle factor determining whether or not you will develop Alzheimer's disease. Inadequate sleep, even moderate reductions for just one week, disrupts blood sugar levels so profoundly that you could be classified as pre-diabetic. Short sleeping increases the likelihood of your coronary arteries being blocked and brittle, setting you, setting you on a path toward cardiovascular disease, stroke, and congestive heart failure. And then, fitting Charlotte Bronte's prophetic wisdom that a ruffled mind makes a restless pillow, disruption further contributes to all major psychiatric conditions, including depression, anxiety, and suicidality. And then he says this, this is, this is also worth mentioning, the physical and mental impairments caused by one night of bad sleep dwarf those caused by an equivalent absence of food or exercise. It's difficult to imagine any other state, natural or medically manipulated, that affords a more powerful redressing of physical and mental health at every level of analysis. And then this amazing summary statement, and then I really want to let you run with this. Sleep is the single most effective thing we can do to reset our brain and body health each day. Mother Nature's best effort yet at contra death. So that's a that's a I think a, a potent um, summary statement about uh, if we don't get this um, incredibly precious rest every night, we're heading towards a heap of hurts. Um, and so let's start to unpack this a little bit. And, and, and I, I want to get a couple factors later about how all this relates to many of the signs and we could say um, symptoms of aging, that aging, many of the signs of aging are almost directly proportional to our lack of deep non-REM sleep. So talk to us a little bit about, about your experience with this and, and add whatever data comes to your mind about just encouraging our listeners to really pay homage to the nocturnal invitation, what I often refer to in Evan as the, the natural curfew of the night that, that went dark, you know, where we're invited in and we should pay attention to this invitation and let nature do its restorative beauty. Well, I, well, the, the and yeah, you, I mean, this is this is a great summary because the data really is it's it's overwhelming at this point. Just what lack of sleep, poor sleep, disrupted sleep, it, what what it does to does it does to the body, what it does to the mind, and it, especially when we think about sleep, even just in in non humans, it's it's a ubiquitous thing, and every you know every animal out there in in some way has this period of quiescence at night or sleep at night where it just becomes it's necessary. It's, it's, it's a necessary, uh, state that we need every, everybody needs, everything needs, but what, what tends to happen? And when we do these studies and when we see just what the impact of sleep is, you know, we're doing it on humans and we see this, that the heart struggles, the blood sugar struggles, the, the mind struggles, Alzheimer's, you know, and, and not to mention, which we didn't speak about as well, just the effect of the sleeping medication and really, does this necessarily curtail these things? I would say um, it, it's it's unlikely, um, especially long term, where actually it's probably doing more harm than good. Uh, and you know how I look at this as a clinician, because I, obviously this is something that that my clients, my patients will talk about, and it really adds it to the anxiety regarding sleep. Because I think at this point, most people know how important sleep is, and most people recognize what a good night's sleep can do. Now. The trick or the, the challenge becomes getting to that knowledge of 
getting to sleep to now the actual execution of being able to sleep, which is unfortunately easier said than done. And while while the, the evidence is out there about how important sleep is, I guess to take it to another level, and when I think about as a clinician how to help somebody there, it, it's almost like all this knowledge, it is power, but that power, it, it's overpowering us at this point to now where the this knowing what sleep doesn't do is not helping anybody sleep better at night. If anything, people are just going to bed with more of a ruffled pillow because they're these are the things that are going through someone's distressed mind about being unable to sleep. Well, let, me, uh, let me just interrupt them yeah. for just them because I think that's really super important. Uh, and it's also somewhat um, funny, I mean, humorous in a gallows way and very ironic that this is what yeah. happened to me. I'm reading all these books and on one level, <laughs> like, OMG, this is amazing, this data, but <laughs> on a subtle level, it's like stressing me out, right? Because I'm not- <laughs> yeah. yeah, it stresses me out. Yeah, it's, it's really, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a, a what I the tradition sometimes refer to as a near enemy of this type of data that that um, obviously it, it can uh, be very helpful in terms of informing us of the importance of sleep, but it can also backfire if we're not getting that sleep and then yeah. it, getting fuel to that stress fire that's saying oh my gosh you know here I am everybody's telling me I should get my my sleep I'm not yeah. getting my sleep and it it makes it worse so so let's again I, I'm gonna let put this ball back in your court. Um, how can we then, with your clinical experience, give us some very specific tips, both in terms of, um, and again, I don't mean to interrupt the track that you were on, but uh, in terms of like sleep hygiene, sure. how to re- really create very practical hands-on tips for how to, to really affect a, a more um, powerful sleep. Yeah, and, and you know, that is the other good thing that comes with all this, all this knowledge and all this um, data that's out there is there is actually a lot of... Uh, a lot of information out there, very, very accessible for, you know, how do we, what are some of the things we could do to start, start this path for better sleep? And uh, I mean, again, I mean, in, in especially in this Apple age where you just go to Apple news and there's all these different articles there, you know, seven tips to sleep better or six things you can do right away to sleep better. So the information is out there, but what I would say, and, and before going into some more of these, um, these tips, you know, it's about how we relate to this information that I think is just as important as the actual information, because, you know, and I think uh, you, you may be able to, to agree with this as well. You know, there's a difference between, I think this is actually a, a, a line from the matrix. You know, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And I think for a lot of people, we know the path. We know what we need to do to sleep. But now actually doing that becomes challenging. And, and to, to as an example of this, I would say the first thing to help with sleeping at night, it actually starts in the daytime. And that is to have a fixed wake up time. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, whatever the day it is, the brain days of the week is something that we've is a construct that we've created as human beings. But the brain works on this twenty four plus hour clock where every day, every cycle should be the same. And that cycle has to start with waking up at the same time every morning. It just becomes paramount, I think, to starting to do everything else that's being talked about to improve sleep is to have that anchored wake up time in the morning. And then from there, I would actually say a lot of these things we need to do for insomnia start with how we are living our waking life, what we are doing in the sense of the the hours of wakefulness that were given to us here. Um, a, a big part of this, I think, goes back to how we as human beings are living our life now compared to where we were, you know, even just 50 years ago, which which in the grand scheme of time is really not that long of a time. You know, we certainly are more sedentary now. We are a little bit more, I don't know, a little bit more, a lot more 
uh, kind of using uh, technology as part of our daily lives, whether it's with work, whether it's with play. Uh, and oftentimes that, that, that computer phone, whatever it is, it's, it's something that's with us all day. And then even what well, is more important, even after the sun sets, it stays with us at night. And really our brain is not wired to have to take in all this information and stimuli over an extended period of time like this. It, you know, once upon a time, human, human beings were living and dying by the sun. And that's something that's kind of become a lost art form now with the advent of technology and the light bulb and the fluorescent lights out there. So to, to, I guess to, to talk what you're saying about tips to improve your sleep hygiene, I think there's a lot of great information out there and it all makes rational sense. You know, avoid the caffeine too late in the day, avoid taking naps, you know, make that bed a place where you reserve it only for sleep and intimacy. Um, if you're unable to fall asleep, you're not in your sleep environment, exercise becoming so paramount of so, so important to be able to allow your body to, to be exhausted so that the sleep is able to come deeper at night when, when your body is recovering. I, I mean, this all becomes very important, but I've also seen, I, and you have to take it to the next, to the next level there. I've seen people who could do all these things, right? They cut out the caffeine. They don't take naps. They're going to bed when they're sleepy and the, and the sleep is still elusive to them. And so there has to be a missing piece there to where it's not just some cookie cutter recipe to sleep, but there has to be something else that I think comes into how we're living our waking life to allow when our head hits the pillow, our mind to be at ease, to our mind to be at rest, to allow that ruffled pillow to be one that has more of a smooth, smooth, smoothness to it. Because I just think insomnia, it's, it's kind of the end result of how our lives are being led now and essentially what we are taking to bed with us and what uh, what our technology has given to us, which don't get me wrong, is a gift and it's it's excellent. And in many ways, it's made our world a better place. But I would argue that how it's made the world, how it's made our lives worse is sleep disorders are increasing. Insomnia is increasing. Mental health disorders are increasing. I think I was just reading a study about how the suicide rates in, in, in young adults have just skyrocketed over the past 10 years here. And while there's no one reason for that, I think we certainly have to look at poor sleep and and really how how we're our life as human beings isn't as a isn't as necessary an organism anymore it's kind of like this higher level almost i hate to say it but almost like robot type existence that we're living now to where we're just not using you know everything that our body has been given to us like we need to our, our hands our feet our, our legs our lungs you know we these are things that have been given to us and how do we spend it you know oftentimes in a chair doing computer work all day because that's what our our job dictates so when we talk about not sleeping i think it's a greater phenomenon that's that we can't ignore how we're living our waking life as well that's really terrifically well said and it's so important and it's, it's i think it's also worth tossing into the mix here nevin that that my understanding and correct me if i'm wrong is that there's not one psychiatric condition where sleep is not adversely affected and so the the Kind of the bidirectionality between yeah. psychiatric disorders and sleep is is unequivocal and and also um, uh, quite disconcerting. And what came to my mind, and I'm curious if you've worked with this, is that when I hear you talking about this, it's very interesting when people have we're armed with all this incredible information, which of course is 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 really important. But one of my new maxims these days is um, uh, you know information to transformation. In other words, how do we take this data? 
and, and really applied it. And I think this particular arena is unique in that um, we're talking about, well, how do, I, how do I do better sleep? Well, I think one of the initial things right off the bat, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that and this is where the stuff really ties into my, my understanding of, of uh, meditation as well, is that when we're trying to fall asleep, in a certain sense, what we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to do nothing but we're trying to do it really well. And that's one of the ways I talk about what meditation is, the art of human being and not human doing. And I, and I yes. think this larger gestalt, this kind of context that you're talking about is completely applicable here, is, is that we've lost the sense of being and we define ourselves by what we do. And so when we fall asleep, we're basically, it's nature's invitation to, to get undone or to come undone. And we're so good at doing things, we're not really trained, so to speak, and even that's almost an oxymoron in the art of not doing. And so, um, you know, in, in the inner yoga uh, traditions, you may or may not be aware of, it's very interesting, they talk about the subtle winds, and these subtle winds are what actually drive thoughts. And when we fall asleep, um, we unwind, and what I often talk about in this context is we unwind. And if we're wow. too we're too windy, the mind, in fact, in Vajrayana language, thought is literally referred to as movement of mind, is driven by these winds. And so to me, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about this, and this is where I have to say personally, my experience with meditation has been the uh, ultimate kind of sleep aid, is that um, it allows me the opportunity to once again, and here's this kind of narrative, this, this uh, theme for our conversation, it allows me to change my relationship to the contents of my mind so that when these thoughts arise, instead of setting up a, the usual adversarial relationship I have with them that, of course, keeps me awake and is one way to exacerbate insomnia, I allow myself to kind of step back in this kind of witness awareness mode, a more playful, open relationship almost celebratory relationship to the windy nature of my mind. And that, in, in, in a way, allows me to come undone, that therefore the natural consequence of that not doing is, in fact, sleep. So I, I'm curious if that speaks to you, whether you've had some experience with that sort of approach. No, and that's, that's, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, that, that's, that your experience has changed with meditation. And, and I don't think it's, it's, it's a coincidence that when we look at these um, – apps that are out there and available to us for sleep, to improve sleep, you know, meditation, mindfulness, they're, they're a cornerstone of every single thing because this is, this is the answer. Well, this is part of the answer to be able to sleep is to be able to, you know, allow ourselves to be undone at night using your words there. It's, it reminds me of that quote. I believe it was Gandhi who actually said, you know, every night when I go to sleep, I die. And then when I awaken in the morning, I'm reborn. And at the end of the day, at the end of the night, we have to quote unquote, let ourselves die. We have to let the day die. We have to let everything that we are trying to accomplish as human doings into just, like you said, a human being. I think that's an excellent analogy. Uh, but this just becomes a challenge to be able to let go of these things. And meditation just allows for us to, and, and I know you can speak to this much better than I can, to allow ourselves to just be in that moment without any judgment or preconceived notions or, or anxiety regarding what the next things are. Because if we stay in that present moment, really, there's no room for regret. There's no room for anxiety if every moment is being lived by breath to breath. Uh, and if we are able to understand this and you know understand how we can apply this and how we can do this in a way that relates to what 
anybody can do. You know, I know I understand, and even in my involvement, like meditation, it can be it can be challenging for people to figure out, and and no one, at least I don't think, figures it out right away. It becomes a a practice, just like any other skill in life. You know, Michael Jordan didn't get to be Michael Jordan by not practicing, you know, multiple hours a day at his craft. And that's what, in terms of meditation, I think this becomes a whole mindset that we have to create and cultivate that really kind of goes counter to how how the world is moving nowadays, where really it's just, there's no room to kind of just stop and observe the moment because there's just always something going on. There's always some some anxiety or worry that we have that just keeps the brain trying to figure it out. And Meditation just becomes this beautiful venue to be able to allow, instead of constantly feeling like we need to catch up with the world to say, you know, this is my time to let the world catch up to me. And lo and behold, people sleep. And and I've heard that from, again, not from you and from multiple other people that if they could just take some deep breaths and stay focused on the, being in the present moment, the sleep will come. And th- there's absolutely something to that. Um, Exactly. So I really appreciate how you how you say that, and I I'm, I certainly think some of these um, Eastern wisdoms it's it needs to be applied to this our Western culture now. And I think there is a push, and I think there are some uh, inroads that it is happening, and it's, it's very exciting to see as well because I think this is going to be the way to really start to transform sleep and sleep disorders into something to where we can provide a lot of hope, where it's not just study after study about how horrible not sleeping it is, but now we actually have a way to improve this that goes beyond looking for an answer outside of ourselves with a, a pill or a behavior that we do into something that's within us and within every human being out there. It's really a, it's really a beautiful thing to think about and really exciting to talk about. Yeah, and let me toss in this. I just, I just thought about this when you were uh-huh. – um, you, you comment that – it, you know, it, on a more metaphysical level, just briefly, it, it's very interesting that this – you know, because we are – more human doings than human beings, and and when we fall asleep, not too dissimilar to when we die, we we basically ah. done. And and I might I might um, hypothesize that part of what could actually be kind of sublimating this entire uh, inability to fall asleep on one level could be fear of death, because mm-hmm. you know we are human doers, and nature's ultimate um, curfew, which leads. Uh, Really, in its deepest kind of sense, in, in uh, the ultimate curfew of the darkness of death is, is nature's restraining order that does not allow us to do anything. And if we identify ourselves as doings and not beings, then I think this is also uh, easily associated with our fear of death, that part of our ability yeah. to let go, and that's what dying, uh, letting go is a euphemism for death, really. Mm-hmm. I think that into what um, in our night club schema we talk about them then we have this kind of charter of these four so-called nocturnal practices um lucid dreaming being the platform thanks for listening you can listen to the full interview by joining nightclub lucid dreaming and dream yoga community just one dollar for your first 30 days try it out click the website link in our profile to get started